When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, this is Succession. This is HBO. If you don't want to hear me talking about Logan Roy, talking about then don't listen to this. There are bad language words in this show. Hello, and welcome to an unbelievably special episode of Slate Money Succession. I am... Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Axios. Hi. I'm here with Elizabeth Spires of New York Times and many other places, and probably some political campaign that's trying to do deals in um, dark rooms or dark penthouses. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, and we are here with the inimitable, unique, amazing WGA member Taffy Brodesser Agner. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> And Taffy, because there is, you, it's never enough to just be Taffy, apparently, you have brought two um, special guests. It is Shari Springer-Berman and Bob Polcini, who I have the privilege of knowing from being the director of the majority of episodes of Fleischman is in Trouble, but also from sitting in their director's chairs and saying, this is not how we do it on succession. It's <laughs> <laughs> like in, on succession, we got two helicopters and <laughs> instead of this tricycle. And, um, and they are the directors of the episode we all just saw. So congrats, Bob and Sherry on, Episode seven, but can you just bring us up to speed? Because I'm pretty sure that almost no one understands how this works. Like, why does a TV show like Succession have so many directors? You only you only directed this one episode of this season, right? Of this season, yeah. This is our third episode. So explain explain why uh, why Succession. I mean, it must have like dozens of directors at this point. Well, Succession, every episode of Succession is almost like a feature. I mean, as I've told Taffy many times, they, they, the scripts are incredibly long. And part of the process of Succession is, is whittling down um, a very long script in the editing process. So you do a lot of shooting. Um, there's a lot of last-minute writing. You know, there's a lot of changes. So you have to really be on your feet. So um, it... It wouldn't make sense to have just two directors uh, on a season the way they uh, the way they schedule it and the needs for each episode. So okay, so now you've just blown my mind here, Sherry. Can you can you like expound on this? When we see an episode, that is not what was in the script. There was a lot more in the script that you end up cutting out. There was a whole bunch of random extra improvised or extra stuff that you wound, you wound up adding in at the last minute. And the idea that Succession is a completely sort of writer-driven show that is completely focused on fealty to the genius writing is maybe not true. No, it is completely writer-driven. It's so writer-driven that they keep writing. (laughs) 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 And never stop. Um, So so basically, Succession, Jesse and and the Succession writing room, which the writers, every single one of them are brilliant. It's just the most amazing writers. um, They're often on set. Um, Will write way bigger scope um, for 60 minutes, you know, or an hour or whatever. Um, And then they are okay with cutting it down and figuring out the parameters to make that 60 minutes in the editing room. Um, It, uh, you know, it is, 
So there are amazing scenes that do get cut. Amazing scenes, like things that could be your favorite scene, but for whatever reason, it doesn't serve the story, or it it it, it just lags there, or you know they have to kill their their babies. And so um, this and so this explains a lot of the sort of random jumps and sort of holes that we have to fill in, or partly explains that the way that we just you know suddenly one minute. Shiv and Matt's in a meeting on a private jet, who knows where, and you're like, how does this fit? What is going on? And presumably, <laughs> maybe someone wrote something that might have explained that, but like, it, it, that just got cut. They're not, yeah. they're not big on ex- explaining. You know, that's, <laughs> right. not, that's not like, if, if it ever feels like explaining, it, it gets cut out. That's not, what, that's not what they want the experience to be. It's, a ten- it's intentional, and I think it's really effective. So can I ask you a, a question um, about that? Like in this in this episode, um, very early on, they're meeting the, the the kids are meeting for breakfast at the Trump Hotel in Midtown, and Shiv is part of the crew that is trying to kill the deal. And I don't know about um, Elizabeth and Emily, but I was like, wait, when did that happen? And we're supposed to just kind of fill in some kind of imaginary history of, um, oh, yeah, Shiv is now ostensibly on board with this. Well, she's pretending. Right. 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 She's keeping her alliance with Madsen close to the vest because she's, you know, trying to play both sides and see which works out to her advantage. Right. She's a double double agent because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they all are. That's Whoa. that's one of the challenges of, of of actually directing is that people's intentions are so duplicitous that you it's hard to keep up with it sometimes even as a director and I'm sure as an actor um, it is you know, sometimes they they they're not quite 100% sure of you know how they're where, where they are exactly emotionally in their own re, in the relationships in the show. So it's re- it's interesting and it's um, it's challenging, but it's always fascinating. I mean, uh, uh, the one thing I do have to say is Jesse, if he's here, is on set, and if not Jesse, it will be like a nut Tony, who's his kind of partner on this, or other writers. There's always somebody there, and the actors are very involved in asking these questions of the writers. I mean, we'll be there, but we can't answer the answers because we're not creating the characters. So there are a lot of sidebars even before we get to set to discuss like, well, what are my intentions? Why am I doing this? Would I do this? Um, You know, and, 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 and the actors have a lot of input. There's a line that Logan had in uh, ep- the episode we did with Adrian Brody where he, you know, Shiv is kind of saying, there has to be a line. And Logan says, there is no line. Everything is moving. Always get used to it. And that, to me, kind of became like, that's that's kind of the the mantra for the whole show. It's like, don't ever settle or get used to anything because it's constantly shifting. Yeah, what, um, what, whatever was true last episode isn't true this episode, except, you know, presumably that Logan is dead. I've heard the show described as a British farce. It like that there's a way you could look at the show as a British farce. And I think the farce element of it, but also this very tragic element is these, these sort of rudderless children who are stuck in this purgatory. Like I picture this is what purgatory is. Like if we find out at the end they were dead the whole time, <laughs> I will not be shocked because they just like go from, they have no attention span. They like are seeking these oxytocin hits from new deals all the time so that they can't even make it to the deal that they want. Like they go from wanting a deal to not wanting a deal to Shiv agreed to that, right? Um, and then And then suddenly she turned on it because Madsen appeared to be offering her, even though he didn't, he, he, he appeared to her to be someone who would give her something that she hadn't had. But Felix, I want to tell you something about the way, the, way it all, the way it all works, which is movies are a director's medium where the director sort of, the actors would go to the director and say, 
what is going on here. Whereas TV is considered a writer's medium, which is why the arrangement in TV is just a little bit different, which is why writers are on set generally of a, of a TV show in order to answer those questions. And Bob and Sherry who have done movies and who have done their own TV are also now doing, you know, they, they'll do an, an episode, but because they're writers, they, um, they are great on this process. They overstep their bounds and answer <laughs> questions. That they shouldn't, right, <laughs> I mean, you know, no, um, they are actually wonderful. We don't know what's going to happen after our episode. So, wait, what? Really? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I'm not sure they know sometimes, but um, you know, I don't know. Are all the episodes shot in 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 sequence. The episodes go in sequence, yeah. And the, and the actors haven't read the full script for the season when they're shooting each episode. No, 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 no. In fact, they're, it's really weird because um, I'll tell you something that they do. We did it on Fleischman as well, which is once you're shooting, you do your table reads um, on your lunch break. Um, and it's amazing to see actors come back from the lunch break because the first time they'll see the script for the next episode is at the table read. And you'll see people like so flipped out by like what they just read. And you're like, okay, but we're shooting another episode now. You can worry about that later. Um, That's how funny. Was Logan like, uh, I guess. Well, I wasn't there after the, I wasn't there when Logan, I think Jesse had a personal conversation with him. I wasn't there. The actors get like paid per episode, right? Like they, they, they've got to know how much they're going to get paid, therefore how many episodes they're in. They make a season deal. Like, if you don't have an actor in an episode, they like a main actor, this is a great question, they still get paid. <laughs> Hence, if you try, if you leave someone out of an episode, the studio might remind you that you're still paying, paying that actor. <laughs> um, so, I... But, in this quote, Patafi, you mentioned this idea of, of farce. And I've said many times that Succession is one of those shows that's a tragedy when you watch it the first time and a comedy when you watch it the second time. Um, but Shari, can you like, is there a difference when you're directing a comedy versus a tragedy? And do you just play this, Succession in particular, do you play it straight like a tragedy and just kind of let the comedy seep through or, or how does that work? They are allergic. I mean, the whole succession vibe is allergic to anything that is overtly comic. Right. Um, they, they are, they do not want to go try for humor. What they want is the humor to come from the tragedy and come from the true I would say like the biggest rule is that things have to come from, there's um, tons of research and consultants and there's a desire to make things as truthful, whether they're emotional arts, whether there's the way things really work in business or the way rich, the 1% live. Like our first day on shooting when we were on season two, I remember them telling us, you know, the 1% never wear winter coats because they're never outside. I mean, maybe when they're skiing, but they always go from the limo to the wherever they're being dropped off. So they don't need winter coats. So our people yeah. never wear winter they, they coats. They literally live in the bubble. Roman is out on a balcony in November in New York in shirt sleeves. And he doesn't seem to notice at all. It's, it's, it's probably because he's got radiant heat or something <laughs> on the balcony. I mean, it's, but they... But they do have consultants that like tell them things like that, that apparently are true. Like, so I would say we always play everything for truth, emotional truth, reality. There is no, I mean, if Jesse even smells, there are things Bob and I like, like one of my do. favorite conversations with Jesse on set was, um, we were doing the scene where, um, Tom and Gr where Tom throws the water bottles at Greg 
and you know pelts pelts him with a whole thing of water which is about as broad as you can get right but we you know we were doing a wide shot and like jesse and i were looking at the the screen you know and we were like how many water bottles this was like after in the aftermath how many water bottles is funny on the floor and how many is pushing the joke too far (laughs) you know because we don't want it to so we were like literally like putting water bottles in the frame and jesse would be like no that's too too broad or pull pull three out so then i pull three out and be like well that's that's okay if you move that one to the corner of the frame you know it was that it's that kind of thing so he has a very exquisite sense of like the line between comedy and and reality, I think. I like the idea of hiring these consultants, like a rich person to say, no, I never wear a winter coat. Is it a rich person who is the It consultant? has to be. It's only it a is rich a wealth, The person's called a wealth consultant. They have, we've had, we I mean, have they clearly need a little extra money. <laughs> I know. I I actually assume that they're they get paid very work. little money. Volunteer. Yeah, they don't. They don't need to because when you're in that world. But yeah, I mean, the very first scene of this episode is, you know, Tom getting making breakfast after an all night fuck fest with Shiv, and there's a butler, I guess, who's like actually making the breakfast for him, and you're like, okay. <laughs> This is amazing. And then he walks by another woman doing yeah. vacuuming. But he carried it all the way through the apartment. That's the thing, which is that's that's the grand gesture. Yeah. And and somehow in between like the the great sexual reconciliation with Shiv and breakfast, he'd managed to procure a scorpion, which which you can do at like seven o'clock in the morning when you're that rich. We need to have some ads, but we will be back to talk about that massive fight between Shiv and Tom. This episode of Slate Money is brought to you by Wondery, which is a podcast company, and it makes a podcast called The Best One Yet, and it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day, and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that saved Abercrombie or which real tech acquisition is like Game of Thrones or the one financial equation that can finally solve climate change? That's the kind of stuff you find on The Best One Yet. So be in the know this year by starting your morning with The Best One Yet every weekday. Follow The Best One Yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts, with shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more. Wondery means business. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Taffy, on this subject of like verisimilitudinous marital relations we need to talk about the heart of this show which is the biggest and most honest fight that tom and shiv have ever had i mean i said to these two last night who by the way did that like now that i kind of know how the sausage is made i just looked at it and was like wow those were overnight shoots (laughs) i don't know how many overnights that was but that was that was a lot and Also, that I looked at, I mean, I've been waiting. I'm so, my shame in Fleischman and in all of my writing is that I'm so on the nose and succession um, withholds in such a brilliant way that I'm not capable of. And I feel like I have, it was all in the service of this episode where they just say it all to each other. And I was really blown away by it. I mean, these two, like, it was, it's also shocking to me that they were reconciled. Like, they seem to have, like, a grief reconciliation. Like, 
they just decide that they're back and she can just turn on a dime. And I feel like the thing he says to her, it's because you're broken. The thought I had when he said that was that Shiv is the best character on all of television in the history of television. Like I know people talk about, I know people talk about Kendall. I know they talk about Roman. I know they talk about, I mean, like a million other people, you know, Jack Donaghy. I think Shiv Roy is the, is the most, the weirdest and most interesting character that's ever been on television. And that marriage, my God, and also, I'm obsessed with this pregnancy. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with like Googling 20 weeks pregnant. Wouldn't someone having sex with, like, I understand that not everybody is showing, showing in their first pregnancy at 20 weeks, but someone who's having sex with you. Okay. Can but so, so it. it's not, so, okay. I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think Emily and I, first thing is she's not actually. <laughs> 20-week pregnant. She's just scheduling the 20-week exams. We don't know how far in advance they schedule that. But here's the other thing that really threw me for a loop, was in the middle of that um, fight... Are you Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But what the audience does not hear is Emily's emphatic nodding. You're saying... nodding. Yeah, vigorous nodding. You're saying that if you're like 10 weeks pregnant, they will schedule your... Maybe 20 week. 15. I think they're much no, she's maybe weirder 12, 15. than that. 20 is a very important appointment, and I do feel you schedule it a bit in advance. And she, I probably feel like owns they are, a, she probably owns an amniocentesis yeah, machine, that, by the way. And it's not like Katie Holmes. Right, but, 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 can, but can I go back? Like This was, this was thrown into the um, fight by the writers, presumably for a reason, right? Is that Shiv accuses Tom of basically, you know, not being, not seeing her dad for the last six months of his life. Six months. Right. Right? And presumably they haven't had sex over, you know, since she, since he betrayed her until now, which makes it suddenly much less likely that Tom is the dad. That is some deep diving, Felix. I'm not sure that when she said she didn't, I don't think... Everything in succession happens in this really short period of time. Um, Especially this right, season. This, this is season, like four days, right? Yes, like We're everything happens. They're, they're the crazy day. still above ground. <laughs> there still so, has not been a funeral. Right. Yes, That's next still episode, has not be, be, right? Uh, no. It's wow. even later. What? So, what? so <laughs> the funeral's not yet, no. Um, so, but the thing that happens is, I think when she says the last six months, I don't think she means that she didn't see, like, I think her and Tom, I, I think this all kind of happens shortly after the wedding in Italy. I don't think six months have passed. I think she means that he got in the way of her relationship with her father for the past six months. I, I, I don't know. I didn't write it. But that's my guess is that that like when we start this season it's not much after the debacle of the it isn't because it it feels like they're saying months and also in the in the premiere episode of the season you know tom it like she lives somewhere else and tom yeah no they've definitely has a new nickname yeah yeah, they've definitely broken up. I mean, it could. I think for all think for all their research on the show, timelines are not something that they care so much about. It's funny. It's like everything is exhaustive. All the research is just like, you know. And then if you bring up a timeline, like we did one episode where, um, you know, they go to an island all in a day, and it was going to be Capri, and I I was like, well. Are we shooting a day or night when they're back on the plane? Because this is like they just don't, you know, they don't they don't care about that. They care more about, you know, the specificity of the world. And that's where they, you know, they but at the same time, they know they want it to be entertaining and they know it's a television show. And um, that's the balance. That being said, I have no idea if it's if the father is Tom or someone else. That that is a good. Do you guys you guys read every episode up till yours? But do you get the episodes after? No. No, no, we have no idea what's going to happen. So we can't answer your question about the pregnancy. We don't know.
I mean, if you'll remember, Felix, at the end of the previous season, Shiv comes home to Tom in Italy and says, let's make a baby. So, I mean, right. one presumes that's what happened. There's also the devastating line that Tom has where he says, you know, I think you are maybe not a good person to have children, which sort of makes you think that, you know, it's, it's front of mind for him in some way, or maybe he knows. But he, well, he to hit her pretty he hard doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know. But, He's just saying yeah, the meanest I mean, thing you could say to not, a right? We had We had that, um, that short scene or shorter scene with... Kendall and Rava earlier in the episode just showing how bad these kids are being parents. I mean, they're just as bad as Logan, right? Oh, yeah. Although I love I love that scene because I love that Kendall thinks that he's saving the world for his children. He's like, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm breaking my back to save the world for them. Like <laughs> Six continents, okay? I'm like, yeah, six. Yeah, yeah. He has this grandiose view of his He's like, I'm, re- I'm, I'm really big in Antarctica, okay? The penguins. He took his sunglasses off when, when she was like, it's not a legal thing. It's about the kid. And then he takes his sunglasses off, like, as if to say, like, I'm with you now. I'm present. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't like that before. they're meeting in front of a birch coffee. <laughs> the way I would meet with my ex-husband about a, that like, was a like, big issue. Because that was Shari's choice. That was me because they wanted to do it. It was like a last minute thing. And, you know, it was easier to do it in either Kendall's apartment or Rava's apartment. And like, this was something I felt strongly about and Jeremy felt strongly about that they weren't on those terms where they would be meeting in each other's apartment, that it needed to be uh, sort of neutral not ground. You know, neutral ground. And but Birch like, outside at Birch? <laughs> it was it was it was like a quick walk by and it wasn't like it wasn't. It was Rava's territory, and not mm-hmm. right. and not um, Kendall's. And when you say it was a last minute thing, like the decision to shoot it at Birch Coffee was a last minute thing, or the whole scene was a last minute thing? No, the well, the scene came was <laughs> came <Both>. late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both the scene came late, which is why it was hard location wise, and the decision to shoot it at Birch was last minute as well. So somewhere in so somewhere in a feverish writer's room, they're like, shit, we need to add a Rava scene in there. I mean, like, because she, we haven't seen her all season. And, she, you know, she's not a major character. Yeah, I was really happy because I thought that, I think they have a really interesting dynamic. And I was really excited to see, um, to see that side of Kendall in the middle of all this. Um, but, but um, yeah, I mean, they, I think they wanted, I, I don't know what, caused them to write it but it did appear later it was not in like the first few drafts of the script wow so they're still writing while you're shooting Uh, we've sometimes scouted on rumor you know like (laughs) of a scene you know i hate to say it but who never did that to you i mean also that i mean the writing never stops i mean they bring alts to set. So, you know, wow. you they have the script and then they bring alts that for lines. Alternative scripts? Alternative lines. Alternative lines. I liked in this episode, because you had the Rava Kendall fight, obviously Shiv and Tom are going through it. And then you have Willa and Connor as like this example of They're a great supportive marriage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Wife in quotes. Is, is the bunker underground? <laughs> I know. <that's, laughs> no, is our house above ground? It's important to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting what this party does to these relationships, you know, and um, it's supposed to be this bonding it's supposed to be this bonding evening for it's supposed to be the you know Tom and Shiv presenting themselves to the world again as a couple <laughs> doesn't <laughs> it doesn't turn out that way you know and um, I have a question Felix does anyone here know about some big party that happens the day before election night like so weird I only know about I know that like Election day, all the journalists are fallow and eating at Odeon because we don't have anything to do. And then at night, it gets nuts. Am I? Is there a party on 
I'm not being invited to or that I don't know about. There is a very important party, Taffy, and you're not invited. That's how oh, it works. I knew it. This is, there is, I mean, Will Tracy, who's a really brilliant writer who wrote this episode, he had photos um, from... I don't know if it's the night before, you know, the election. That might just work with their timeline. They're very neat, tight timeline. <laughs> but there was this. There are these parties, and I was shocked when I saw photos of, like, Rebecca Mercer, like right wing, like Trump supporting people with like MSN, with like Don, Le you know, like it's at parties with their arms around each other, like having a cocktail before the election. Now, I don't know when, if it's, it might not be the night before. And we were given very specific types of people that would be there. And of journalists, it was like only the most, and you know, Frank Rich is a producer on the show, so he's very knowledgeable about it. It was like the, the biggest podcaster of in political in the political world who holds sway might be there along you guys with would like, obviously be invited right and, and, along and with, of course and of course the wall street journal op-ed page which which <laughs> um so but okay so it does occur to me and i have to say i didn't really think about this until right now but it occurs to me that this episode on some level is a discourse is on some level is just about, or one of the many things this is about, is the impossibility of marrying into the Roy family. That Tom can't do it. Rava's, you know, broken up. Willa is called a wife in scare quotes by Roman. The kids have breakfast and just decide that everything that Marshall wants to do, they can just ignore. Um, the closest thing that Roman has to her wife is Jerry, and she just, like, brutally tears him apart. And it shows how none of them have any ability to have any sort of support mechanism outside the family, and they certainly don't have any support system inside the family. They are all very alone. I think that's very true. And, you know, and, and how, you know, how they all have different ways to benefit from the different outcomes of the presidential election. So they're not even, none of them are even aligned that way. Um, it's every, there's no, there's no line between the personal and, and power and politics in any of their relationships. Um, I thought that the other interesting thing about Kendall is like Kendall trying to come into his own and figure out who he is only for Nate to say, you're not Logan, I'm not Gil, that's a good thing. And how it kind of stuns him, almost this unforeseen possibility that he could actually make his own way instead of what they've been saying in the episode since Logan died, which is this is what dad would do. What would dad do? Oh, dad would totally do this, right? Or, or, or alternatively as Matson puts it, the failed sons will do what he did, but they will do it stupider. <laughs> <laughs> they have so many great names for the brothers in this episode. The fail sons, Dumb and Dumber, the Dumpster Brothers, Team Kenro. It's just unending. Yeah, it's it really delicious. is. Though uh, my favorite nickname is Mr. Mild, who is a one pepper menu option <laughs> about time. <laughs> <laughs> Which she says to his face. I Which mean, she says to his face. Like, she really insults him. It always reminds me that the rabbi who married Claude and me, always, he's, he gave us a few pieces of advice before marriage. And he says, and one, the last thing he said was, those couples who kind of poke fun at each other behind each other's backs, don't do that. It's never a good look. And I always yeah. remember that. And then you see Shiv doing it in front of him. 
Like instead of like rolling her eyes about Mr. Mild, she's like, "Here's Mr. Mild." She Maybe you've met my husband, Mr. Mild, point. a one pepper menu option. There was one episode where she was laughing hysterically with someone else. I can't remember who it was about the way Tom wears a suit. Well, yeah, that was episode one <laughs> at, when they had dinner at Roman's house, right? And they, yes, and that's it, yeah. right. Yes. Oh my god, it was, was so brutal because he, he was so excluded from the even the conversation, even though he was there, and it was just it was just you know it's you know with Shiv it's like you know being in a I mean Tom said that he sometimes speaks in a higher voice whenever Shiv is present because he's always afraid you know um, right. of her, of where where she might go he lives in fear of her but so that's until, what's until like he breaks on the terrace exactly and I think that's why that's so powerful because you know it it all and, and they're both right, right? I mean, both of them are assessing each other correctly. And that's what's sad about it, I think, and what's very true about it. And that they knew this about each other, and yet they, in love, <laughs> the, they agreed that that was fine. And But also, like, that sort of brutal, like, you asked me to marry you at my lowest point, my father was, like, the the kind of strange rewriting of history, which was actually an accurate rendering of history is, is, <laughs> is kind of brutal and shocking and very much the stuff of like the people I know who have gotten divorced when suddenly everything that was good could now be seen through this horrible prism of what was I thinking? Right. My dad was dying. What was I supposed to say? I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Wow. <laughs> what? What? Because that's how you're supposed to. That's how they say What was I supposed to say? And Tom says, no. And she's like, <laughs> I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Like, that's not what You didn't think about yes. my feelings when you went off the fuck the phone book. <laughs> the phone book. <laughs> yeah. I, well, there's also, you know, they, the knives really come out around class, too, in that conversation. You know, she describes his family as striving and parochial, and he's, she says, you know, you'll be fine, Shiv, no matter what happens. And so it's, it's a, and you don't really, they, they sort of tiptoe around that in previous episodes, and then it just all comes out, you know, that they're not even compatible on that basis. So. Well, there's a lot of that in the show. I mean, there's, you know, even with Matson. You know, he calls them new money. You've got to hold those bills up to the light with <laughs> no, new money. No, that wasn't Matson. That's what Kendall says about Matson. That's what Kendall yeah, says yeah. about Matson. Yeah, but it's also weirdly like the way that the three kids talk about Connor, right? That that he's like a little bit Aravist and Declasse by Roy kid standards, and they, you know, there's so many sort of. And this is actually very English. I think this probably does come from like the the Jesse Armstrong side of things. It's this exquisite de- gradations of social class that you you see in the show. Yes, always talking about Willa's mother filling her plate up with too much food at the yeah. you know, or, or, the, the, or, the, or the you know. or the guest the with thing, the big the, the date with the big. Pot, right. the, big the big purse capacious. The, capacious, <laughs> the capacious bag. Bag. which which i have to say like of all of the lines um that you know in, in season four that have that i would have guessed would like enter popular culture as a meme the the ludicrously capacious bag was not on my would not have been on my list but that's <laughs> the one that everyone remembers and keeps on quoting we're going to take a quick pause here for some more ads but Next up, we do need to talk about Matson's gold lame jacket. I have a money question that I'm sure everyone but me can answer here, which is, so Kendall calls him new money. And I guess I wonder what are, like, who is, like, I would have thought that we would consider the Roy's new money because he was, like, what are the rules? Are, how new does money have to be for you to be called new money? Like what generation? Well, no, I Do mean, we so know? this is the thing, right? So the <laughs> old money would definitely consider the Kendall to be new money, right? All you need to do is look at Kendall's 40th birthday party to see that Kendall is new money. But by Kendall standards, 
um, Matson is new money. And I, and I do actually want to ask Bob and Shari about his jacket. Like, who, <laughs> who chose that? Tell me, like, how, how that came about. That jacket is a character in and of itself. Um, we, it, was, it came from um, the, the wardrobe department on this show is incredible. Mich- Michelle Matlin is the is head of the department. And, and with Alex, they picked it out. And, and then they send us pictures. And I was like, I love this. This is so inappropriate. So Euro. Um, so like Eurovision, like everything about it was, was, was just, I thought, perfect. But, but yeah, to answer, to answer Taffy's question, basically there is a distinction between an actual profitable business that is large and worth billions of dollars versus something that has been spun up very quickly. And, you know, we keep on talking on this podcast about whether Matson is Daniel Ek, who's the only, you know, Swedish billionaire that anyone can think of. But something like that who came up very quickly. Um, this is why the kids pivot so quickly from the hundred to Pierce, right? It's because the hundred is like very new and kind of fake and doesn't feel real. Whereas Pierce has at least been around long enough that they can feel that it's real. And Waystar definitely has been around long enough that they can feel that it's real. Waystar, of course, predating Royco, right? That even if Logan was a self-made man. What he did was, at some point, he merged Royco into Waystar. Waystar has, you know, a century of IP behind it. And wait, you know, what? It, what's the real life corollary to Waystar? It's something like Disney. Okay. I mean, smaller than Disney, probably, but not, you know, but something along those lines. Maybe you right. know, Universal Pictures. Right, 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 right. That's that seems right. Um, and and the other sort of real life parallel which uh, I had to mention in in this episode was Wirecard right because there's something about European tech companies that is highly suspicious and the biggest and most glamorous European tech company was this German company called Wirecard and what it turned out to be doing was massively exaggerating its revenues in Asia Mm-hmm. which is exactly what um, Gojo is doing. And, and, when, and when that came out, when the, when the Financial Times revealed that the Asian revenues were fake, basically Wirecard went to zero. This is like you can see when Shiv and Kendall are you know, worrying about this, and you can see even when... Um, Matson is like stuttering when he's confronted about this, that they all understand this is a huge like existential problem for Gojo. This isn't, you know, this is much bigger than the, you know, rapes on the cruises. This will, this will actually destroy the company or could, it has that potential to. Unless there turns out to be two Indians. Right. (laughs) Because what he wants to do like is, is the classic, um, AOL trade, right? Which is like, we use our inflated valuation to buy Time Warner, which is an actual real company. And then even if the value of AOL goes to zero, at least we still own Time Warner and that's worth something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's accurate. But now by the end of this episode, you have Kendall trying to... What does he try to do? Flip the Viking? He wants to now buy reverse Gojo. And he wants to go reverse, reverse He wants to go reverse <laughs> Viking. Yeah. He, he, uses, he uses a sports metaphor, which surprises me because Kendall does not strike me as a sports metaphor kind of person. But he says, what if we run it all the way back? Yeah, Kendall wants to run it back. Right. I didn't know that was a sports thing. It's so interesting yeah. the way they immediately want to run it back. And it's so, like, I guess I come from this space of, like, Imagine just selling this company. Like, I know that this is a stupid romantic idea that ignores the trauma that they have, that their basic identity. But like, I don't know. Why don't you just sell this company and go be a rich person doing whatever you want? You could even go to the first world as opposed to second world New York. <laughs> I, I did the description of... Of New York as second world, I mean, yes, 
like I, I, for, for Lego both, there. I mean, it's fair. It's, <laughs> it, New York is a deeply dysfunctional city on many levels, and I think you need to be not American to realize how sort of second world it is. No, my friend Rayhan and I went to um, Sweden a few years ago, and and it was pretty like. I don't know. Like this seems pretty nice. Um, it was. It had a lot of socialist ideals, but nobody was allowed to email anybody after five p.m. or something. Like you're not allowed to like by law. email an associate. After, yeah, it, ma- like, it makes it makes too much noise. It'll keep people up at night. But it was. It was also like a very, like well run. I mean, we have this is this is a mess. I'm looking outside my window. To say this is a this is a mess right now. But this I, is a I mess. love I love how that insult from Matson, as a New Yorker, how that deeply offended Kendall, <laughs> like more than you know making him go to Norway when his father had just died. Maybe not more than, but equally, um, you know that that insulting his city and calling it Second World was such a. Yeah. Such a and, that, and, and that deeply awkward fight, that whole scene. I mean, I have to say I love that scene because it's like in filmed entertainment, you know, movies and TVs, often the fights become incredibly choreographed and everyone's, and especially in succession, everyone's incredibly um, loquacious and has exactly the right words. There's no, let's read the scalier in succession, right? Everyone has no, says exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. Um, but this fight was awkward and they didn't quite know if they were fighting or what they were fighting over and it ends with this bizarre kind of hug and everyone's just kind of looking at them befuddled and <laughs> and that's so real you know? i actually think that it's it's the opposite they all like especially roman and and especially like logan had really dumb things to say with this amazing confidence like like Logan would say these crazy things, like, 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 let's see who's gonna lie down in dirt with the birds, as if it were a time-honored <laughs> thing that everybody knows to say. And the way they would say it, it was, it was magnificent. Like the confidence with which, and and Kendall to me is always saying this like sputtering thing that because of his position, he's just allowed to say, I love it. The rich, man. The rich. Hmm. But um, Elizabeth, I need to ask you about the politics of this show. Mm -hmm. It has finally become clear that Connor is running as like a third party candidate in this presidential election. And he's doing that like weird spoiler thing and that um he's exploding in alaska minkin, though <laughs> he's exploding in alaska and that, and that, and that minkin and he cares deeply about recycling which i think is an interesting <laughs> it's his biggest surprising issue. yeah um is 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 like you know reckons that he's taking more republican votes than democratic votes and that if connor drops out then maybe that will help Minkin, whose campaign is looking weak. Um, walk me through the sort of realities of this and how, you know, is is there any actual world where a third party candidate would do a deal with one of the other two parties and drop out in return for like an ambassadorship somewhere? Uh, yeah, I don't think it would happen the night before the election, though. Um, <laughs> and it is great that, you know, they, they initially offer... Um, Connor Mogadishu, and he says it's too car bomby. <laughs> he asked for North Korea, and uh, you know Roman says, "Con, they're not going to put you anywhere with nukes." And Con says, "Well, that's insulting. I don't want to go anywhere that doesn't have nukes." And it's, uh, it, but I could see, you know, there there have been candidates, especially for libertarian candidates, because they're just never ever viable, and they do tend to take votes away from Republicans far more than Democrats. If if there was like a slim margin in there, it would make sense to get Connor to drop out. But I don't think it would happen on that timeline. Remember Ben Carson? He ran for president in 2016. You know. Mm-hmm. was kind of a weird libertarian. He was a brain surgeon, but everything yeah. he said seemed incoherent. Yes. Um, 
and Trump. With his eyes closed. Yeah, with his eyes closed, yes. And you were like, I hope you're opening them for surgery, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, Trump made him HUD secretary, housing and urban development, which was also disastrous. Right, but but we we often see this, right? So often, you know, Pete Buttigieg gets a cabinet position. Like the the right, I mean, you know, Kamala Harris becomes vice president. The rival presidential candidates within the party get little knickknacks and googles yes. but this is different because it's, it's a, a, third a third party, party candidate they're also offering him so terrible things it's not like they're <laughs> offering him it's do, like it do, shows you do how much ambassador they... to slovenia you're like no i, I, I don't think <laughs> I want and oman <laughs> <laughs> they're not really giving him a a, a big carrot to jump to to leave it's in fact their offers are so bad he says no the scene where he was trying to convince willa to go <laughs> to go to <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it goes. It really went on for a long time it's before really we cut funny. it. There's it was so fantastic. <laughs> there were so many great lines. Oh, um, you can park anywhere. You can drive on the most, sidewalk if you want. Yeah, <laughs> there was. They just kept coming up with all these. You know, some line sales about like points. she could. She could have theater. She could put on her place. And she's like, are there? There's critics? no theater there. <laughs> no, she has. Are there critics? <laughs> <laughs> I love that part because of the sort of the Connor always gets the double insult, which is like, it's not just we want you to drop out because you're clearly not viable, but also we can't even offer you your anywhere in Europe other than, you know, we can't offer you what you want. What does he say about marching through the Balkans B- Berlin until by he's Christmas. conquered? Was that Hitler's path? Like, what, 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 what path was that? Was that a reference to some? Was, was, was that like Hannibal going over the Alps? I have it might be. He loves, Napo- he loves Napoleon, so maybe it's some. It maybe might it was be a Napoleon, Napoleon, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Another ad break, but when we're back, the best lines from episode seven. Um, so let's talk about favorite lines. Um, Taffy. Oh my God. I'm, I don't want to be being first. I have two that I'm between, but. Well, we, we can, we can do, um, start with someone else if you want. No, if it's Taffy well, start. Cause Felix will I'll step do one and, and then I'll scream out if someone else takes the second, just to say, I agree. Um, they want uh, they want us to go full. We're coming to give your guns hormone therapy. <laughs> that all your guns are going to be ladies. Your guns are going to be ladies. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to give your guns hormone therapy was the best distillation of of the of the Tucker Carlson news cycle that I had ever seen in one line. And I love I love how this is very you know. 2023 Republican Party rather than say, you know, when did season one come out? Like that would not have been a line in season one because that's not where oh politics God. was back then. Um, Bob, do you have a favorite line from this one? Well, I love when Matson says, uh, so don't say people are data and stick my dick in the guac. <laughs> <laughs> when she's telling him how to behave at the party. <laughs> That always make that always makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> a tiny bit of self awareness there from Lucas Mason. Yeah. yeah, Shari. Well, I, this is a more emotional line, but I think when Tom says, "and I think you are maybe not a good person to have children," mm. I just that I find that heartbreaking. What was her reaction? Her reaction was devastating. That's her reaction was that's not a very nice thing to say, which but is like such an understatement like, for what well, they. The beauty, I think, the beauty of that scene is like it's. I think Taffy, you were saying it's it's like it's so overt. They don't speak that way in Succession, so that whole scene is kind of, you know, there's no subtext. It's actually like there, you know, she says, "I don't like you." I don't care about you. And that to me, like hearing Shiv say that instead of her usual, like, I love you, but I don't love you. You know, it's like, it's that whole, I think that whole scene is kind of really masterfully written because we know these people so well and they don't talk like that. And also like to bring it back to the sort of divorciness of it, that, that, that the last stage of any relationship is first 
not caring who sees you fighting, right? They're in front of a glass while fighting. They're having a fight. They're not having like a closed lip fight. They're on a patio in front of everybody in their apartment. By the way, we had a cutaway to people looking at them that they took out because it was probably too obvious for them. And then the other thing... And then the other thing about that is just that you finally just say everything instead of hinting around it anymore. So I feel like I, I feel I saw the hallmarks of this is this is it. Also, I love that line in particular, because if you go back to last season, um, when that very devastating scene when Shiv goes out to lunch or dinner and she sits and talks with her mother who's like Caroline, who's like the cruel and basically says everything. There's no subtext. She basically tells her, "You're." she says, it's a good thing you didn't have children. I don't think, she makes the assumption that she's not going to have children. And she's like, I don't think you would be very good at being a mother. Some, I mean, better said I mean, than. Yeah, the the thing about Caroline and while, Tom is, is that they're right about that. I don't think Tom, I don't think she, I mean, we know that the Roy's are bad parents. Yeah, I don't think Shiv would be any different. Um, but you know, <laughs> Emily's like, oh, couldn't she? I know? thought. I mean, she played it really well. That scene was beautifully done. The way when she says that's not a very nice thing to say, and you could see she's like holding back tears. She's often holding back tears when she's fighting. She's just yeah. so brilliant. She's so she's brilliant, and she was. She w- They were so amazing in that scene. And just to tell you a little something about it, th- that scene was so intense that we. You know, we shot because we shot so much of this in real time. Like it was almost like a a real time party in a lot of ways that we were shooting because people had to be in the same spot. We told Tom, everybody was so like drained. We told Tom, Matthew, who's like the most amazing person and actor to stand out on the terrace. And it was cold and, and chilly and rainy and not come in. And we sort of were setting up another shot and left him out there. <laughs> like, forgot to bring him in. Finally, he's like, hello. We're like, oh, my God, I'm so oh, no. sorry. <laughs> so that's why he's yelling. He's just really pissed off that he got stuck out there. We just got so caught up in it. It was so emotional that we <laughs> we we were like, Shiv. We were like, you know, stay out there. I, I would say I love, I, I love how tired he is in this episode. And I love, I just love how like bleary he is so that when he sits down to fire everyone, he's like, sometimes this makes me cry a little bit, which I like what my reaction to being tired is to cry a lot. Like I just start crying a lot and mm-hmm. I just accept that about myself. <laughs> and I felt like the tiredness just came through and there's an excuse made for it. Like you're not letting me sleep or having sex all the time, mm-hmm. but it feels like there's something else going on with him. Maybe it's also the election. Maybe it's also worried about his job that he seems really tired in this. Can, can <laughs> He's I like also, doing a good job of that. There is something incredibly universal about that tiny little mini fight they have where he's like, I'm really tired. I'm going to bed. And she's like, can you just stay up for another 45 minutes? And he's like, no, I can't. And I'm like, how, how many of us have not, you know, we've all had that fight, right? Right. And of course the last shot is him not being able to sleep. So yeah. I, the, the last shot, I, I definitely want to ask you about that last shot. But um, Elizabeth, do you have uh, yeah. a favorite so line? I, I enjoyed Matson's discomfort when he was sort of explaining their numbers problem, where he says, well, you know, maybe we discovered a metrics error that overestimated our subs in India. And then he hesitates and he says, like if there were two Indias, it would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and, and Shiv is, and he's like, you can fix that, right? She's like, yeah, I'll just build another India. He's like, yeah, you go, girl. You build another India for me. I like that attitude. It's like, no, that's not what I meant, Lucas. Um, I think my favorite line um, is Tom. Don't say it's biodynamic and don't say it's German. <laughs> Um, oh my God. Wait, what's Emily's? Oh, my favorite line was written by Matson ostensibly, but delivered by Shiv. She's reading a text from him, and she says, 
why he doesn't want to come to the party. He doesn't want to swim around my dad's bullshit, pre-election, brain dead, AOL era, legacy magazine, or legacy media, putrid, stuffed mushroom, fuck fest. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say, just director-wise, I love that transition from her at Trump Tower texting into his receiving the text. I thought that was very elegantly done. Um, We need to just finish, I think, with whatever foreshadowing or implications yeah, guys, how's it of end? the final the final shot of Tom lying awake thinking I, roughly from episode 3 onwards there's been this question of like is there a way for Tom to sort of wind up weirdly winning this whole um succession battle like is is he is this final shot like Tom sort of coming to terms with the fact that like that fight totally killed his marriage with Siobhan and that now he needs to come up, you know, without Logan to protect him, he needs to come up with some plan of his own. We also did an act of self-sabotage by telling everyone to get the fuck out of his house and they're the most important people uh, in America, right? And he's so he's done a lot of damage to himself that night. But you know, it's an interesting question. We don't know the answer, but I will give you one tidbit: is that <clears throat> in our cut, we had the show ending with Shiv in her bedroom, and it was reversed um, in the final final. So it must mean something that I don't know. But uh, I'm curious to see where we go from here. How, how does <clears throat> how does this work? So you have you have a cut. You end with Shiv. You have a cutaway to the party guests who are watching the fight from inside the penthouse. And then it goes to, like, Jesse, and he, like, makes tweaks and takes things out and puts things in. And and usually yeah. improves it dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very, very, very difficult to know. Sometimes things are in, in the script that are setting up things that we don't know what's coming. So we don't right. – it's hard, it's hard to edit without um, – you know, so we stru- – you know, we, we want to give them something that – structurally is is sound and really makes the because it's a lot right so really makes the episode feel like it's it's got a trajectory and stuff but some of the um specific lines and things um it's hard for us to know how important they are or how much we should reduce them um and that we really need Jesse to weigh in because he's the one who really knows, you know, where it's going and what we're setting up. I mean, when they first started talking about Gojo in uh, another episode we directed in uh, season three, I I was like, what? why are we talking about Gojo so much? You know, where is it? I didn't know. So I really whittled it down and they brought it all back because I didn't realize how important a role it was going to play. I mean, that's that's the thing with this they show. They have the big picture. I mean, they knew they must have known everything to the end. Like I remember when we were talking at first about like, maybe this is going to be the last season while Jesse, Jesse was talking about it before that New Yorker article came out. And it doesn't seem like maybe it was going to be the, the last season. Like it seems like this, every little thing was planned for four seasons and everyone knew what would happen. But but that's not how television works. No, but it is. Like for an HBO show, right? Like, but it's like you think you think in like season one they had it planned for four seasons? I think Jesse had an idea of where it would end. I don't think he knew for sure. And I also don't think he knew I remember him saying, you know, several years ago when we started uh working on the show, I remember him saying I see this as being four or five episodes, not more than that. So seasons. I think he, yeah. I mean, seasons, not episodes. So I think he always knew that it, that there was just a limit to how much story he could tell. Um, and I think, but I think he was open to people convincing him. At least that's what he said in the article. And he's, I think he went in saying. I don't know if we could find another really meaningful season. Maybe we'll do it. But in the end, he decided it wasn't. There wasn't one. So next episode, Sherry, you have, you know, given the Slate Money Succession listeners a little um, 
tidbit that we can hold on to that the next episode is not going to be the funeral. Um, other than that, we're just going to have to, I guess. That's I all guess we know. Just, that's all that, we know. It's that corpse it's, continues to rot above ground. Well, we know, we know it's election. <laughs> he woke up on the right side of the Sorry, coffin I'm today. Jewish. We are like, I'm like. I know. I, it's get funny. it in the ground. assuming to me. Yeah. As a Jew, I had a conversation with the writers about it. I'm like, you know, we bury our dead immediately. And, um, you know, they were like, well, and it's true. They're like. He is such an international figure that putting people want to come from other countries and putting it together is a big job. It's true. Whenever it's I hear of like someone lying in state, I'm like, they're not buried. Yet. I'm, not, I'm always horrified. Logan is not Jewish. Jewish. So I, I guess yeah. the Roy's aren't Jewish. Is that, <laughs> is that what yeah. we're to take away from this episode? Huh. Not, 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 a lot of, not a lot of Jews in Dundee, I can tell you. <laughs> Who's going to win the election? How about that? Who's going to win the election? <sighs> That's oh. Mencken. Not going to let like, you know. Don't know for sure. And, don't know um, for sure. But I, feel I bet like it's Mencken because I love because he was the most interesting one to watch. There was foreshadowing here, right? In that, like, the polling is bad, and then it turns out that the internal polling is really is is actually worse. Um, but do the polls? I mean, they've led us astray before, yeah, right? Polls. The polls. The polls. The polls <laughs> but also, like, the, you know, if we're going to be at all realistic about this, um, especially if the election is close, which it looks like it is, um, we're not going to know who won the election. Oh yeah. Oh no. Right. <laughs> How many episodes are there this season? There's three more to go. Who do they send the kettle corn to? Hmm? I don't know. I don't know. Who gets the I don't know. <laughs> I think they would have at least told us that. Um, Taffy, thank you for bringing your friends. Bob and Sherry, thanks so much for coming on. It's been amazing. Um, and yeah, thanks to Patrick for editing together what is undoubtedly the hardest episode of Slate Money Succession to edit, but nothing like editing an Mr. episode Snippy of Succession. Mr. Snippy Do the listeners know that this Snippy episode was 200 pages long before it got whittled down to whatever it is? This episode of Slate, I mean, the, exactly. the podcast, I mean. Yeah, but not- yeah, this entire podcast is very scripted. Yeah. Very scripted. Um, and so, yeah, we will be back on Saturday with the regular Slate Money and then next Monday with episode eight. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.